working through some stuff today, and I picked it up, and I made copies of it. On the one side, it says, Warning Signals for Parents, and the other side is 12 Ways to Raise Delinquent Children from the Houston, Texas Police Department. I don't know how old this article is, but some things to think about that can be helpful to <clears throat> to us. But anyway, they're back there on the table in the foyer if you'd like a copy of those. Uh, all right. <clears throat> Psalm 20, 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As heirs are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. <clears throat> then Psalm 144, verses 11 through 15 Bible says, Rid me, deliver me from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones, polished after the similitude of a palace. That our garners may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. Happy is that people that is in such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. So as I think about preparing the next generation, these two passages, <clears throat> God gives us some things to think about as we're training children or training the next generation. He uses... Two metaphors, you might say. Arrows, uh, really three. Arrows, plants, and polished cornerstones for girls, ladies. Uh, as you think about arrows, arrows are weapons. They're offensive weapons. Um, it's the idea of being on the offense. And, of course, he talks about arrows here in, in Psalm 127. In, in uh, Psalm 144, he uses the word plants, grown up, for talking about the young men. Plants, the word plants there is, means vigorous, has the idea of vigorous. The word grown up means to grow up, to become great or important or to magnify. So it's a vigorous, something that's vigorous that's becoming great. That's the picture there. Uh the uh, idea of polished cornerstones, polished after the similitude of a palace, you know, we think of cornerstones, we think of a block, but it's not really a block, it's a, a corner pillar. You know, a pillar speaks, speaks in, in a polished pillar. So you're, you're talking about strength and beauty. And it's talking about our, the young ladies here, our daughters. They're, they're to be of strength and beauty. You know, it's not just not just outward beauty, but it's talking about inner strength of character, of discipline. And so as we think about our young people and preparing the next generation, these are things we need to keep in mind uh, as we prepare them. As we think about the, the concept of errors or plants, 
Uh, Psalms 127 verse 4 says, As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Uh, they are to, an arrow is to be aimed or prepared to hit a mark. You know, arrow is no good if you can't hit anything with it. it. The idea here is not just to shoot it into the air or, or, or shoot it at a venture. Remember, Remember when uh, Ahab and Jehoshaphat went into battle to take back Ramath Gilead, and, and, the, and, the, and the Bible tells us that, that a man shot a bow at a venture. In other words, he just shot it in the air. It just so happened that it struck Ahab. I mean, he didn't see Ahab and put, an, put his eye on it. He just shot it in the air. That's not what we want to do. We don't want to just shoot it in the air. Uh, Psalm, one, or Psalm 45 verse 5 says, Thine arrows are sharp. In the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Now, Jeremiah 50, verse 9 says, For lo, I will raise and cause them up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country, and they shall set themselves in array against her. From thence she shall be taken. Their arrows shall be as a mighty expert man. None shall return in vain. So, as you think about designing an error or a or a polish, you know, a, a, a pillar. Uh, 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 Isaiah 49 gives us a little insight in this. Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 3, where there it says this, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me, and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So he says, you know, like a sharp sword, a polished shaft. Um, you know, if you were to make your own arrow, you'd take a branch, a twig. You'd want one as straight as possible. And you'd polish it. You get rid of the bark and all of the stuff on it, you know, the, the, the stuff that would detract from it being shooting straight. And, and the word polished means tested or proven. You're going to practice with it. And, of course, you're going to sharpen it. You, know, you have to put a point on it. You know, we call them broadheads. We, we that hunt with bow and arrow, we call them broadheads. You want something that's going to be sharp and piercing and uh I saw one guy who makes his own arrows. He he takes a, uh, some kind of a quartz stone, and he and he files it on concrete to sharpen it. Now that's going to take some time. But you know, preparing a next generation is going to take time. It takes a lot of work. And so, and just as a man would skillfully and meticulously prepare his arrows or his polished cornerstone. We, did, we need to take the time and be meticulous about preparing the next generation. And I want to notice several things tonight as we think about, consider this subject. First of all, that we need to prepare them. Uh, there needs to be physical preparation. <clears throat> physical preparation. John, uh, 3 John verse, verse 2 says this, Beloved, I, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Even as thy soul prospers. Now the Bible doesn't say a lot of things about our health directly. There are some principles, but directly it doesn't say. But this verse says, you know, John's writing to 
to a friend, I believe it is. And he says, Beloved, I wish above all things thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. So he was talking about his physical well-being. You know, if we're going to be, be in health, of course, that starts with a healthy diet. A healthy diet. You know, think about it. Is it godly to be a junkie? Is it not defiling your body God gave you? You know, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 20 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Therefore, you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, I'm not a health nut uh, by any means, but I looked up the word food on dictionary.com. Now, this is the definition of the word food. Any nourishing substance that is eaten, drunk, or otherwise taken into the body to sustain life, provide energy, and promote growth, etc. And I asked myself this question. Is some of the stuff that's presented as food today fit that definition? Now, I don't know what your opinion about that is, but mine is no. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, processed foods, potato chips. Yeah, I was, uh, uh, I don't even know why I was on a prevention website, you know, prevention magazine, you know, they're health nuts. They are health nuts. But they said the top two cancer causers, you know what they are, according to them? Soda and potato chips. Of course, they went on, they had the top ten, but that was the top two. Soda and potato chips. Um I would say they're probably right. But anyway, uh, we, need to, you know, we need to limit or stay away from stuff that is presented as food that's really not. And there's a lot of it today. A lot of it today. You know, and, and, and I would challenge mothers, don't feed them what they want, but what is good for them. You know, isn't it sad that the stuff that's not good for us always tastes better? That's because we're sinners by nature. That's why. Uh, by the way, if you feed them what's good for them, they'll thank you later. <laughs> you may have a fight, but it'll th they'll thank you later. So a health, it starts with a healthy diet. Good health starts with a healthy diet. Of course, there's exercise. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Uh, so, you know, and... and you know, bodily exercise is not the most important thing in life, but bodily exercise does profit. Does profit. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 <coughs> Corinthians chapter 9, verse... Uh, 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, but they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible, talking about Olympics, basically here. He says, there are, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, and I as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached others, I myself should be a castaway. 
what Paul was saying here is, I'm not going to allow the appetites of my body to hinder me in my ministry. I'm going to stay under subjection. I'm going to keep it, my body under subjection. You know, it can be an appetite that's seen it or one that's not seen. Um, so, you know, we need to exercise. You know, we're talking about exercise here, but we need to exercise restraint when it comes to our bodily appetites. You know, it's not just eating. There are a lot of other things that are that affect our body. Uh, sins of the flesh can affect our body. That we need to exercise restraint. Uh, particularly, as the Bible talks about sexual sins, can affect the body. Uh, you know, he talks about fornication; it, it can affect the body. Uh, so, so there's things that that we need to keep our bodies into subjection, under self-control. We need to exercise restraint. Um, you know, so so there needs to be there needs to be exercise uh, of the body, the mind, and so on. Uh, somebody said, "Eat less, move more." Uh, other, the third thing here, scheduled rest. Scheduled rest. Ecclesiastes 5.12, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. And Mark 6.31 says, And he said unto them, Come you yourselves apart in the desert place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. You know, somebody said the old saying is, You can come apart and rest or you will come apart. I know you just had an all-nighter. I will have to confess, I am not a fan of those. Uh, you know, it's okay, young people want to do it once in a while. I, could, I, never, I never did like them, even when I was young. Um, I, I'm not sure why, but never did. I had to go to bed. You know, we always, of course, you know, grow up, growing up on the farm, uh, we were always tired. We got up earlier than most of you do, probably. You know, four thirty, five o'clock, uh, and that wasn't real early for farmers. I know some of them get up earlier than that. I worked for one for a while that got up at one thirty in the morning. But uh, anyway, so at eight thirty, nine o'clock, we were ready for bed. Now, I'm not saying you have to go to bed at eight thirty, nine o'clock, but you do need to have scheduled rest. The body needs rest. The body needs rest. Scheduled rest. Um, when I say scheduled, I'm talking about consistent rest. So, so physical preparation, there needs to be physical preparation. Secondly, there needs to be vocational and economic preparation. Go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. <clears throat> we'll start in chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. <coughs> Excuse me. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Chapter 12, verse 24. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. But the slothful shall be under tribute. Then go to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, 
Lamentations chapter 3, verse 27. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. By the way, I don't think it hurts the ladies either. Um, I think the word man here is kind of generic. But anyway, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there may be hope. You know, of course, what we're talking about here is the idea of work. Teaching them to work. Um, Psalm 144, verses 13 and 14 that I read a little while ago says this, that our garners may be full. How are you going to get full garners? You know, garner is a granary. It's where you store your grain. And how are your garners going to be full? It's going to take some labor. Affording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands or ten thousands in our streets, that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out. And then notice this statement that goes with goes along with the idea that our garners are full, which requires labor. That there be no complaining in our streets. You see, you know, and Paul said in the New Testament, Acts 20, verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than receive. And, of course, 2 Thessalonians 3, 8 through 10 talks about if any would not work, neither should he eat. He makes that statement a couple times in that passage. So the idea here is children need chores. Now, it was a lot easier for my dad growing up on the farm than it is for you we, we people that live in the city to have chores to keep our children busy. But they need something to do. They need something to do. Children, they need to be taught to work. It is a Bible principle. It, it, it brings into a person's life or a young person's life confidence and contentment. Again, Lamentations 3 says, He will sit alone and keep silence, because he hath borne it upon him. Psalm 144, 14, you know, that there be no complaining in our streets. You know, we have the, we, we, we have the, our society is full of whiners and complainers nowadays. Wanting all kinds of hands out. And it's everybody else's fault that they're whiners and complainers. You know, and we, we have promoted this idea of self-esteem. That's not really in the Bible. Nathan, you know, has this idea that every child needs some brothers and sisters to tell him he's a blooming idiot, so he realizes what he is once in a while, you know. That may be a little harsh, but... But uh, th you know, we, we've, been, we've promoted this idea of self-esteem, and they've got less self-esteem than we ever had. I hate the word. No. Why is that? It's because they've never accomplished anything. They have no responsibility. Except sit in the couch and eat potato chips and go like this. 
Well, that doesn't give any self-esteem, I assure you. There was a, uh, in fact, I have some copies of these. It's a, it's a Reader's Digest article that I read years ago, and I sent from for some reprints, and I've had these for years. I've got four or five here. I encourage your parents to, and I'll lay them up here on the table, but I encourage your parents to take one. It's an interesting article with some very good things in it. By the way, the Reader's Digest was started by a Christian, and then it was eventually taken over by by uh, uh, unsaved people, and it certainly has changed. It's not, I don't even know, is it still in the circulation? I, I, I quit. I used to get it because there used to be very good articles in it, but I, I quit getting it. But anyway, it, it says, are we demanding enough of our kids? That's the title of the article. And uh, part of it says, what has happened to America's standards for its children? Not only in the classroom, but in the living room. Americans are demanding less of their kids and getting less in return, asserts John Rosemond of the Center for Affirmative Parenting in Gastonia, North Carolina. Rosemond recently asked an audience of 1,250 parents how many of their kids did regular unpaid chores. Only about 50 parents raised their hands. Then he asked how many parents had done unpaid chores as children. Almost every hand went up. Some of them seemed proud of it, he says. They appeared to have forgotten words like duty, obligation, contribution to family, and what these qualities mean for the child's future. Instead of insisting that kids take some responsibility in their lives, he points out parents take responsibility for them, arranging the kids' schedules, picking out their clothes, staying up until all hours doing their homework. But without practice in making their own decisions, including wrong decisions, kids never master the independence to cope in the adult world. And uh, there's, he gives, uh, there's, in this article, there's some things listed, and one of them is give them chores. Regular, meaningful household duties underscore responsibility to others. Moreover, chores teach a child that the, the child, chores cheat, chores teach that the child is a valued member of the family, and a long-term study shows they are powerful predictor of adult success and happiness and then and also it's a confidence builder uh, there's a little inset in this article and it says this it says the benefits of having demands made on your you as a kid are shown by a classic study of inner city males who grew up in the depression of the 30s they were followed and interviewed periodically due th through their lives george valiant a professor of psychiatry at harvard medical school reported that after 50 years those who were happiest and most successful in every respect, financially, psychologically, in terms of family relations, even health, were the ones who had been required to perform chores regularly while growing up. The pattern held regardless of ethnic background, education, income, or family circumstances. Apparently, early success at small chores had inspired them to try more challenging tasks. Each triumph built up their confidence to try more and more difficult things until they were on a winning track. You see, when a, a child can perform a menial little task to us, but to them it's a confidence builder. They did it. They did it. So they need to be taught. You know, taught to work, you know, I'm sort of like my dad. 
I look for things to make my children do. Now that sounds cruel, and I used to think my dad would dream up things for us to do while he was with the Bell Bell or whatever, get parts or something, but, but I realized now that was good for us. And I'm a mean dad, and I do the same thing, you know. Uh, no, and it, it's good for us. They need, it, it, you know, this, this course re- requires discipline. Uh, you know, it, it helps them in discipline. You know, this, the word discipline means training in act, to act in accordance with rules responsibly. It's teaching responsibility. You know, you do a job right, pay attention to detail. If my kids don't do the job right, they have to do it again. That's the way I always had to do at home. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth, do do it with thy might. God is a God of detail. He wants us to do things right. Pleasing to the Lord. Pleasing to the Lord. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Even, you know, this of course affects... You know, this, this, this uh, uh, lack of this teaching has affected our workplace in America. No longer, you know, uh, are we considering, you know, the quality, the quality of work has, has been much diminished in America. The quality of education is much diminished. And the reason is, we don't expect enough. Um, and again, we're getting away from the Lord, and that's the basis for all this. But Ephesians 6 says this, verse 5, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the service of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So whatever we do, we're to do it as unto the Lord. Children, whatever you do, you're to do it as unto the Lord. This isn't just this isn't just what mom and dad make me do. This is what the Lord has given me to do. And I need to do it as unto the Lord. We parents need to do this as unto the Lord. So no, we need to do it as the best of our ability. So as we think about vocational and economic preparation. And teaching them to labor and to prepare. Uh, then we are to prepare them socially. Socially, Luke two fifty two, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. God wants us how to be able to conduct ourselves in this world that we will find favor with not only with Him but also with man. Your third John verse twelve says, Demetrius hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record and know that our record is true. You know, when they they went to choose the first deacons in Acts chapter 6, it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. They're well spoken of. Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Of course, talking about a pastor or an elder, and the deacons, it says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall in reproach and the snares of the devil. So, so you know, we need to prepare them socially. They need to learn how to get along with others. Manners. 
being hospitable. You know, and part of that is, as parents, is not intervening to solve all their problems or bail them out of their problems. Again, this, this Reader's Digest article uh, says this, don't solve their problem. Sure, it's easy for an adult to step in and take over when things go wrong for a child. An argument with a playmate, a lost library book, an overspent allowance. And it's painful to sit back quietly when a child is being punished for misbehaving in school. Well, if I misbehaved in school, I got when I got home too. Uh, yet each of these tough moments teaches an important lesson needed throughout life. That actions produce consequences. Actions produce consequences. So insist that the child face the music. These setbacks are learning experiences too. I remember hearing on radio one time, a very popular radio psychologist, Christian psychologist. Some of you probably know who I'm talking about. Anyway, he had a, a daughter that was uh, in upper high school years, I think. She was habitually late getting ready for school. And her mother would drive the kids to school and then go on to where she worked. But this daughter was habitually late, causing them to be late. And they told her, recommended her a couple times. And finally, one day, she was late and she just left her. You know what she had to do? She had to pay to get a taxi to take her to school or miss a day of school. She was never late again. See, she had to pay the consequences of her being habitually late. You know, sometimes, you know, one of the things we, that, that we, I don't think we should do is either is to, again, bail our children out of every problem they have. They, you know, when, as, as they get older, we need to learn, we need to, and this is difficult for parents. I understand I've been a parent. It's difficult to discern when you start letting them, you know, decide for themselves. And if, if, if it's not a doctrinal thing, decide for themselves and get themselves in trouble huh, or waste a few dollars, you know, um, if, if they've earned it themselves, they usually appreciate it more. But, but you know, it, it, they, they need to learn to face the music, the consequences of their own decisions as they get older. Uh, of course, as a child, you know, when they're real young, uh, the consequences can be, you know, the wearing out the Western Hemisphere, if you know what I mean. So, so we need to prepare them socially. They need to learn to get along with people. And sometimes, sometimes I had I had one child that that there were some friends that would just irritate him to no end. I said, "Well, it's a good learning experience. You have to learn to get along with all kinds of people in life. There's going to be dope heads wherever you go." He found out what I said was true too. Uh, you know, but so so preparing them socially, uh, manners, learn to get along with all kinds of different people, 
uh, and so on. And then fourthly, educational preparation. Uh, Proverbs, go to Proverbs again. Proverbs, while you're turning, turn to Proverbs chapter 4, or 24, I'm sorry. Proverbs 1, 5 says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Uh, Proverbs 18.15 says, The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. And then Proverbs 24, verses 1 through 6. Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them, for their heart studieth destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. Through wisdom is a house built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant fruit, riches. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety. So, as we think about you know, these verses, the idea here is of gaining knowledge and wisdom. And it's vital. He, he says, by knowledge shall thy chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. But wise counsel shall thou make war, and so on. So, so we need to, to increase in knowledge. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, she'll not depart from it. And, you know, they get this knowledge... Through, from their, they gain most of this knowledge is from their parents. And of course, being in a good church. But Psalm 78, I want you to notice Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. What says, Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and notice, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he hath established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children that should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that he might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments." And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So it's our responsibility as parents to educate our children. You know, some parents pass that on to others. But ultimately, when we stand before God, you know, and I think everybody here homeschools, when we stand before God, whatever method you choose, you as a parent, I gotta give account for it. Now, so you know, of course, we all hear homeschool, and I, I, you know, that's 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 our thing, been our thing, but but you know, it's our responsibility, and dads need to be involved in it. You need to be the principal, so to speak. You need to, need to know what's going on at home with your children's education because it will have long-term effects on their lives and generations to come. You 
You know, education is not solving the problems for them. You know, it is giving them knowledge, but it's also giving them the knowledge and the tools to come to right conclusions. Come to right conclusions. You know, really, it's giving, it's giving your, young, your children the tools to come to right conclusions, right answers. For not only the math problems in school, but for the, the answers to life. Um, and so, you know, we need to work at, and again, part of that is, is uh, uh, not, not doing the work for them. One of the things in here it says about, there's, there's talks about education in here and, and uh, how they changed a school. There was a school, talks about a remarkable turnaround. There was a, a principle of an example of what kids can do when challenged, and, and kids need challenged, from, comes from Burnett Academy Middle School in San Jose, California. In 1989, Burnett was a school for underachievers. For example, in math, four out of five students were taking remedial courses, yet kept failing further behind. With places for 800 students, Burnett housed only 500 in part because parents who had a choice of schools kept their children away. Test scores ranked Burnett dead last among San Jose middle schools. Today, Burnett's test scores in some subjects are above the district average and rising. Applications of admission were closed 45 days early because so many parents wanted to roll their kids, and Burnett was still oversubscribed. What triggered this remarkable turnaround? One of the factors was something simple. Instead of expecting little from their students and assigning them to a spiral of dumbed-down classes, the school demanded more. Don't remediate, accelerate became the slogan of its innovative accelerated schools program, which gave the presumed slow learners the same challenging load in literature, science, and problem-solving and analytical discussion as top students. Every eighth grader studies algebra, every seventh grader pre-algebra, every sixth grader accelerated math. He says we set the standards high standards and organize the school so that students could reach them, uh, says Henry Levine, who developed the program. And they were stimulated and excited. They rose to the challenge. Accelerated schools have since been expanded to more than 500 schools across the country. And you know, a couple things he's, he says uh, about education. Number one, remember who's who. Standards are set by parents, and of course they're talking about society and schools, not by popular vote of kids. You're the parent. You set the standards. Um, make expectations clear, not mushy, and don't send double messages like, well, I had trouble with math, too. Listen to your children, but let it be known that parents set the final rules. Now, number two, don't let them quit. According to Stevenson, if American kids can't solve a math problem within 10 minutes, they, ask, give, up. they give up or ask for help. Veteran teachers told Roseman that kids give up quickly, too, on playground, in sports, and games. In the words of an old saying, teach your kids to try, try again. Um, and then, hands off the answer sheet. No ifs and or buts. Homework is the kid's responsibility. Make sure the task is done, but don't do it yourself. If you solve your, own, your son's arithmetic problems or do the research for his report on Gutenberg, he doesn't learn to stand on his own two feet academically or otherwise. Doing the child's science service science report is no way to teach science or to teach honesty, says Dorothy Rich of the Homeschool Home and School Institute. Uh, so, uh, 
So, so you're giving them the tools to come to the right conclusion, but making them do the work on their own. You know, the greatest home enemies of homeschooling, I think, are this. Discipline. Now, I mean discipline. You know, and it, it takes, homeschooling is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It takes, requires discipline. Um, we have a distant family member that's thinking about doing it. And, well, you know, I just, sometimes I just wonder because there's a lack of discipline there, whether it'll ever work. But it requires discipline. And when I say discipline, I'm not referring to just spanking. I'm referring to sticking to a schedule. Structure. And, Dad, you need to help with that. Don't just delegate all that to mom. Uh, of course, other great enemies are, uh, you know, TV is not a thing anymore, but social media is a great, great enemy of, of that. Um, we waste a lot of time there. But anyway, so, so you know, the, these, are, these are, you know, the educational preparation for our children is important. How are they going to study the Bible? You know, their education might limit them and what they can do for life. And so uh, we want to give them the best training. Of course, included in this is spiritual training as well. You know, in 1 Samuel 16, 18, speaking of David, it says, Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. Now, one of the things I would encourage is, is reading. You know, David, David was a shepherd. And he spent a lot of nights and a lot of days out under the stars with no entertainment. Wow, what a boring life, our young people would say, wouldn't they? Well, we would say that. What a boring life. But he learned there to meditate on the things of the Lord. He learned there that to be cunning and playing on the harp. How many people do you know that can play a harp? They say it's the hardest instrument to learn to play. In fact, there are very few teachers for playing a harp. I know of two people. There was one in Maryland, and I think there's a, a girl out near Charlotte that can play the harp. That's the only people I know that can play the harp. Uh, so David learned these things by spending time basically in seclusion almost with the Lord. With the Lord, you know he didn't waste his time, but but uh, he did. So so there needs to be this spiritual training along with uh, spending time with the Lord. Uh, Proverbs four, Proverbs four says, "Hear ye children the instruction of the Father, and tend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. You know, and as we think about uh, you know, he, of course, this is to Solomon, but 
uh, Proverbs 31, verse 30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But the woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. So the emphasis should be on reaching their heart for the Lord. By the way, if you reach their heart for the Lord, all these other things will be easier. Easier. You know, tra tra uh, training a next generation, I would say, is the hardest and greatest work that God's given us to do. It's vital. But God wants us, and God has given us the tools in his word, God has given us the tools to raise up sons like arrows, as vigorous plants, and as daughters like polished cornerstones, pillars of strength and beauty that can go on and become great in the sight of the Lord. But we have to be willing to be usable vessels and take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and say, by God's grace, I'm going to do it. Might God help us to do just that.